Welcome to the Yins and Y'all podcast, the podcast where we discuss sports, entertainment, life, and good old-fashioned manly stuff. I'm your host, Alex, and with me are my brothers, Sean and Lance, and this week we're joined again by our cousin, Matt, as a special guest with us tonight. And we're going to jump right into the sanctuary tonight, guys. We're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. They took on the Philadelphia Eagles in the Battle of the State of Pennsylvania this past Sunday, and the Steelers, of course, came out by a score of 38 to 29 so they finally broke the duck and they got up into the 30s um what were your thoughts on the game matt i know that you attended the game in person so we're going to get to that experience here in just a second but first guys why don't you share your thoughts on the game how did we look let's let's go ahead and start with the offense how did we look offensively well, I thought that it was exciting to see Chase Claypool have a big breakout game. Yeah, four uh, touchdowns. No, four touchdowns, three receiving, one uh, on the ground. They did a nice reverse down at the end zone, uh, and they had actually set it up a play before doing a, a similar uh, motion play where they actually, uh, I believe, handed off, went right. They did next time around. They had uh, Claypool go in motion, same formation, and instead of handing it off, they handed it off to Claypool. So that, that was a nice bit of trickery. And, you know, Uncle Randy set that play up in advance. So I really like that. And I, I know that Chase Claypool joined some rare, dignified, uh, you know, four-touchdown club of rookies. I think Gail Sayers is on that list and Barry Sanders and maybe like one other guy. So that's a really unique list for a rookie to be on. I thought offensively uh, we looked pretty good. Of course, you know, getting over 30 was a, was a big game for us. And I just like the fact that even though, you know, we you hate to lose Deontay Johnson early like we did with the back, but we have such depth and talent at wide receiver that the offense did not miss a beat. And then towards the, you know, the second half of the game, James Conner was starting to heat up. Uh, my one concern with the offense is the offensive line. Ben was under a tremendous amount of pressure early and often. They weren't able to run the ball too effectively in the first half, and they were really – just generating offense by quick three, four yard passes. So that, that would be my main concern coming out of last week. All right. Uh, Sean, Matt, your thoughts on the offense? Yeah. I mean, the game starts and ends with Chase Claypool, just absolutely dominant performance from the young rookie out of Notre Dame and man, just to have him meet the expectations of the so-called experts were saying in preseason uh, how good he looked in training camp, and you're really just thinking how long until they put him into this offense in a more established role. And I think they took advantage of that bye week, though uh, obviously they did not want that bye week so early in the year. It gave them a little extra time to implement some, uh, some plays and more offensive uh, production for Chase. I am a bit concerned uh, with the rushing. Uh, James Conner, 15 carries for 44 yards, and Benny Snell, mm. 7 for 19. You know, they're just not getting the production consistently out of those guys. Uh, they, they finished as a team with a 4.3 average on the day, but that's with a Ray Ray McLeod 58-yard run. So you take that out of there, and it's a very poor performance overall by the running backs. And that's something that they're going to have to shore up. I know the offensive line is definitely uh, experiencing a lot of injuries. They lost uh, both DeCastro and uh, Pouncey at points in that game, and they did not return. 
So, you know, anytime something like that happens, that's definitely going to be impactful in a negative way for the running game. But, you know, they need to overcome some of these things, and we need to see a little more out of Anthony McFarland and Benny Snell and James Conner to just supplement the team offensively and make them more two-dimensional instead of one-dimensional moving forward. Okay. Matt, your thoughts on the offense? Yeah, I mean, no, I think that overall the offense – you know they they want us they won the Steelers this game so it's hard for me to criticize that much. I I Sean took the words out of my mouth talking about the run game. I mean I know Ray 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 McLeod had that big you know thirty two yard run or whatever or I I think it was like a fifty eight yard run excuse me yeah fifty seven and then you know after that we have the next leading rusher is James Conner fifteen carries forty four yards so I mean I'm concerned a little bit about that but. You know, Ben took control of the game a little bit. That's what we've seen so far this season um, with the play calling. Um, threw the ball 34 times. So, obviously, out there gunslinging again, which I always loved gunslinger Ben. But uh, we're coming up on this part of the season where I'd like to see a little bit more clock management. Uh, I know that, you know, people love to see these high-scoring games. There's territory for the Steelers because I don't think this is something that we can maintain. Um but, you know, and then on the defensive side, a couple big plays, but still um, pressure, you know, 11 QB hits, uh, eight tackles, uh, and then the five sacks, which, of course, also count as into that eight tackles for loss. But, I mean, they're playing good up front. It's just like these big plays. And that one Miles Sanders touchdown, that was that's like in Tech Mobile when you call the perfect play against your opponent's perfect defense. That's just what happened on that play. Um, that draw just set up great, great for that the blitz that they had on third and long. Um, that stuff happens even in the NFL. So don't get too discouraged by that one play. Well, Miles Sanders, yeah. I mean, he had 74 yards on that carry, but in his other 10, he, he had six. six. Yep. Yeah. So they did a really good job in that game, balling up the defense or balling up the run game, minus that one very long touchdown run. Yeah, and we you know often we because we're fans of the team we forget that the other team is paid to make plays too. They're professional yep. athletes, and th- that kind of stuff's going to happen from time to time. And, and as long as it's not happening every week, where they're busting off this huge run, um, you can forgive the defense in that regard. But it seems like the secondary is is a worry spot at the moment. Um, yeah, there were some interceptions, but I don't know that they were, you know, one of them was a garbage interception at the end of the game. Um, what did you guys see out of that secondary that's perhaps troubling as we move on into a, a meatier part of the schedule? I thought that they got uh, worked by Travis Fulgham, <laughs> who was a practice squad player eight days before that game. Uh, he had like 10 catches for 130 yards, and he looked good while he did it. So, I mean, you know, Props to that guy. I mean, he's obviously living his dream. Sunday night football the week before he catches the game-winning touchdown, a 40-yarder. So, I mean, he had a heck of a seven-day period in his life. So, you know, one, good for him. But on the, on the flip side of that, I was surprised that the Steelers couldn't take him away. The rest of the, the Philly offense, as you will, the receivers, they were without Deshaun Jackson. They're without their first-round pick, another receiver, uh, Jalen Rager. You know, and and they're and Zach Ertz looks like me running out there. He can get no separation. He's had a total of 15 yards receiving in his prior two games. So I was just surprised that they were that Travis Fulgham was able to be as uh, successful as he was on Sunday. I was very surprised by that. 
Yeah, I noticed one of the the touchdowns the Eagles scored, and I believe it was Hayden that was in coverage. And man, did he look slow trying to close on that ball. I couldn't agree I more. I mean, yeah, it, he it, it looked like he was Peyton Manning running in quicksand. It it was, and I don't know if that's a reflection of his age at this point, or or what. It, it, but I didn't notice that last year. He seemed to have a good year last year, but he has not been off to the best of starts. Stephen Nelson hasn't looked good early on. Um, Mike Hilton, I think, has probably been our best corner to this point. Although I think he had some some not so great plays during the game. And again, that's, that's going to happen once in a while. Guys are not going to have a, a few good plays or, you know, they may have a bad game, but the secondary as a whole is, is gotta be a, a worrisome spot for the Steelers defense and, and to give up 29 points to, you know, let's face it, Carson Wentz and Miles Sanders in a bunch of jabronis that nobody's ever heard of is a little concerning, especially as you're looking at the four and one Browns, as much as I hate to say it coming up next week and then the Baltimore Ravens. So we've got two tough back-to-back game division games coming up against teams with much better athletes at the skill positions than what the Eagles have. I mean, the, the, the Steelers, the, the four wins they have are over teams who have a combined, I think three wins on the season to this point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this game, this week's game, I know we're going to get to it as a very big, prove it game uh for the Steelers I think. well you can all, you can yeah. only play the teams that are on your schedule so you can't really blame the Steelers for the records of the teams that they, they have played obviously these teams are not perennial playoff teams that they've beaten but we've killed them for many years on losing the teams that they should beat and they've not done that so far and, and I did right. hear Tomlin in his uh weekly uh, press conference that he got a question asked to him about his feelings on his cornerbacks and how they're playing. And <clears throat> excuse me, he said that basically it's a four game sample size. And then if you were to look at the first four games of the 2019 season, it was ugly. So he's yeah. not concerned. If Tomlin's not concerned, I'm not because Tomlin comes back, comes with that defensive, uh, defensive coaching pedigree was a defensive backs coach for the Minnesota Vikings. So I got to go air with him. And the fact of the matter is, is you come into a game, you can't take away everything. So I know they were focused on stopping the run and they were obviously worried about uh, Carson Wentz making plays with his legs and getting outside the pocket, which was leaving these cornerbacks in single coverage. So they took Ertz out of the game. He had one catch, six yards. Outside of Sanders' uh, big run, he did nothing. And, and uh, Carson Wentz did nothing extending the plays minus, you know, one or two that I saw where he, you know, broke out of a sack, I think, on Bud Dupree and, and threw downfield for a first down. So, overall, I mean, they had a good game. You're not going to stop everybody. Like Alex said, the other team has professionals that are paid to make plays. And, you, you know, you got the win. You got the win in front of that raucous crowd of 5,500, and you, you move forward <laughs> to the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. Um, so let's go on to, to Minka Fitzpatrick at this point. And are we, what's our level of concern with where he is? We've, we've talked about him a couple of weeks on the pod, uh, just this lack of making the splash play. And that even goes back into the end of last season where that kind of dried up a bit. Uh, are we concerned with his performance thus far in this, in this season? I mean, I'm not at all. Uh, this is one of the benefits of being 
in the stadium this past week is finally, you know, one of my favorite things to do is I'm at games is to take a series and just watch one player because on TV, you get the ball view constantly, right? You're just watching the ball all over the mm-hmm. field. One of my favorite things to do with these games is, is take that, take that opportunity to watch a player through a series. And I got to tell you, there were very few times based on my judgment of the coverage, which I would say on the complexity of an NFL defense, I might be right 40% of the time by guessing. Um, but from, from the 40% what was going on, he's in phase on receivers. He's providing the support where it's needed because we're, you know, like you're saying about our cornerbacks, we're trying not to leave them on as much of an island as we were last year. And by doing that, you're limiting that free player, which in, in a lot of cases with our defense can be the free safety on if he's not supporting out of the ability because he's supporting. So just watching him being in phase on receivers was very important. And he seemed to be in the right areas. And that's what I really care about. So me not being uh, in-depth football speak, let me try to get what you're saying and break it down. Basically, they're using him as help for the cornerbacks to not leave them by themselves, man-on-man coverage. And that's limiting some of his quote-unquote splash playability because he's he's almost having to just – stay at home, make sure nothing gets by him type of play. Is, is that what you're kind of describing? Much. I think that a lot of times they're in like basically like shaded coverage so that they're playing like man on, you know, one, the weak side of the field where there's like two threats. So say it's tight mm-hmm. end and a wide or in a wide out on covering that with in a man scenario, but he's shading more to that three threat side. And he, that's his job in that scenario is to provide support in, in, in the event that somebody breaks out of, breaks out of phases means that like basically leaving somebody open as they break out of their route and jump on that. So he did a, I, from what I saw in the game in those scenarios, he was doing a good job. And that, I think that shows because, you know, those long, those long bombs that, I mean, of course, Carson Wentz doesn't have the weapons that somebody like a Russell Wilson would have. Um, but those long bombs just aren't there as much. And that can be exposed if you're limited from you know a man-to-man perspective i will okay. take i will take the oberlin all-americans word for it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, i mean you can only get that stuff here on the ends and y'all <laughs> podcast so matt you you were in heinz field for the game 5500 is what sean has already said was the crowd how tell did you get the tickets? The, That's yeah, my first about, question. Yeah, the tickets, how you know, the fan yep. experience with that few people. It didn't look like to me y'all were in your usual season tickets spot um, from the pictures I saw, but I might be wrong about that. Just tell us a little bit about, you know, what it was like, what kind of precautions that you had to go through, all that kind of stuff. Just yeah, describe the Yeah, I have a couple experience. notes of things that I want to go through. So I, I'll definitely – I want to talk about the tickets first. Um, so we did actually move our, our tickets to the – to in the relative area of where we are um, this year. So we're no longer in the end zone anymore. What? Yeah. I, I, I was love, looking for your mom on TV. I love seeing you guys in the end zone. When, uh, let me tell you something score, about this. Man. Yeah, so let me That's tell you something about this. Though. Yeah, so those tickets, I've described this to multiple people up here. Those tickets are the best tickets if you're going to, like, two games a year. But if you're going to every game, like, we, so just for perspective, um, we were in the second row 
on the Jumbotron end zone um, previous to this year. So those tickets are fabulous. Things happen there. Uh, AB did a flip into the end zone there. That's where he scored the touchdown on Christmas um, at the end of the game. So I've seen amazing things there. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, But if you're watching a season there, you do end up watching the Jumbotron a lot. Um, Because if they're past, if they're Mm -hmm. on the opposing 40, I really can't see what's going on. Can't see. Yeah. So we've moved up um, into we're our we were on like the the end zone area this time, but our tickets are normally on the thirty now. Um, so it's been nice to be able to see that throughout the game. But basically, how it worked was all the season ticket holders that didn't opt out of the season were given a login time to the Steelers portal, and basically based on that time, you could select your seats that were available based on the COVID spacing, right? And based on our time, we got in there, we were able to get all our tickets for this month at that time. And um, yeah, that's how the experience worked. And just for background, we had one of the earliest times, but uh, one of our friends, Logan Knoll, he, his, his family has two seats and they were one of the later times. And when they logged in, there was still seats available for the game. So I don't think any season ticket holder got held out. Um, that's good. By that sense, so mm-hmm. that's good. That's good. Yeah. And did you feel did you feel safe being there? I mean, all the stuff going on. I mean, you you and Cat, and of course your sister work in medical community and all that. Did you feel safe being there? Yeah, I mean, based on the spacing, they were very strict. The spacing was great. Um, like we we were the only people in our row. Now, granted, there were six of us there, but we were the only people in our row. In the other rows, I would say that there were probably about six per row. Um, you know, and obviously spread out and then, you know, going into the stadium, it was, everyone was masked up, um, all through walking in and they actually had, um, where they would normally have, you know, the, the beer here, from here guy, uh, there was somebody walking around monitoring for masks. If you weren't eating or drinking. Oh, wow. So you had to keep your mask on during the game unless you were eating or drinking. So I guess the beer was flowing like wine. <laughs> so yeah, I'll get. I, I want to talk about some of the concessions as well. Yeah, I was curious whether they. they yeah, were open so I'll or, first. I want to touch that. on tailgating. So there's, you know, if um if anyone's you know kind of aware of what our family does on tailgates, my dad is the tailgate master. Right, he throws this. <laughs> it's a party, it's a party right? We have we can have upwards of sixty people divided between three cars in a parking lot. It's, it's awesome. Um, there was no tailgating. You could park your car and maybe have a beer before you went in the stadium, but they took all of the porta johns out of the parking lots, and you could only get into <laughs> the the, um, the lots at eleven o'clock when normally it's eight a.m. So that was one thing that they definitely limited limit, that. limiting yeah, the time. Absolutely. So yeah. what we did is, you know, I live ten fifteen minutes away from the stadium, so we just came here, you know, nine a.m. and just hung out for a little bit, had some food. Um, if you have somebody that's close, I definitely recommend doing that. And then leaving that house at like noon, you'll get in with plenty of time uh, to get to your seats. So, I my right. I got my only question is Matt for your family. What what was the bigger deal this weekend? Was it your sister getting engaged, <laughs> or was it the ability to go to a Steelers game? Um, <laughs> so I think <laughs> put, yeah, putting him on the spot. Look, she's probably all, not going to listen to this. Alex, we all knew Alex that engagement might. was going to come. Yeah. We did not know when we were getting into a Steeler game. 
Yeah, so I knew about the engagement a couple weeks before uh, Alex Rouse, who's who is engaged with my sister now, is uh, throw out used... a social security number while you're at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, they um, he used the same lady for the ring, so I, I had heard about it. Uh, I had to give him the contact information, um, but we didn't. So, like I said, I've known for a while that that was going to happen. But on Wednesday, or I think it was Tuesday, that we found out we were going into the game. That was the fresh news. So we were all pumped about that. Right. And then, you know, we got to celebrate with them on Saturday, which was awesome. But it was right into, like, halfway through the night. Like, what are we doing tomorrow? Like, who's ready to go? Like, we're all excited. And, you know, he comes with us. So he was on the same boat. That's awesome. Well, we're, we're excited for them and looking forward to it. And so Lance, you know, he had his wedding in Florida. And you went with Hilton Head. Hawaii. Um at this rate, yeah, I mean, am I am I going to be summoned to some you know Caribbean <laughs> nation or Hawaii? Like, do you have any inkling as to what the plans I are? I don't for know. Um, I've been I, I I know that my wife has been talking to them, talking to my sister about uh, venues and like kind of limiting like how much you know people are letting in based on that. So I don't know. I think that there's right. there was originally at some point some talk of doing. Uh, a destination, but because they're both from Beaver, I would expect that it would be up here. But I really, yeah, I can, I can speak only yeah. speculation. Huh. So, hey, I need, I, yeah. we need a baby. That, so. that, that, you better, your dad, your dad better hope that it's during COVID time so he gets a break on the bar bill between <laughs> their friend group. Maybe like a 600 yeah. person wedding. <laughs> I, I'm I'm accepting yeah, well, uh, applications for a babysitter that evening. <laughs> It'll be a a, a fireball yeah, right. limit yeah, of right. uh, 50, fifty. Firehall, my right? sister. Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I doubt it too. But hey, I tried. So if Meg, if you're listening, congratulations, Alex. Congratulations. We're excited for you guys. That's that's awesome. And Matt, congratulations. Yeah, you got to I go mean, to the Steeler game finally. Yeah, so that's I, that's I great too. I dodged that question in the yeah. right manner. Yeah, that was yeah. good. Yeah. I answered it, answer it, it well, Matt. Matt, yeah, we're gonna have you run for. We're gonna have you run for public <laughs> office. I'll run your campaign. You yeah. So, do you want to talk about concessions right. and how that stuff went? Yeah, let, let's let's hear that, and then we'll move on from the Steelers and to their Week Six matchup and then with the Browns. So go ahead, real quick. So, concessions were like got it. Uh, pretty normal, except when you when you want a beverage, right? You had to get an item of food. That's kind of the stipulation here in Pennsylvania with restaurants and and bars. You can't just go in and order a beer. You have to order a, a food item, so that held true in Heinz Field, and basically hmm. they went around it a little bit. Like you could go in and get two beers and purchase a one dollar hot dog. Um, so there was, you know, kind yeah. of you could work around the system a little Sounds bit. Great. Yeah, honestly, I was cool with it because, like, I, I I want the hot dog. That's the cheapest prices you could get, except <laughs> on night. Yeah, yeah, yeah dollar hot dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was cool. I was fine by me. Um, and then the environment was interesting. Um, they were still pumping a little bit of crowd noise. I assume that they were monitoring the decibel level based on, you know, our our fans and everything. Um, there were a lot of Philly fans there, surprisingly. I don't know if you could hear them on the broadcast, but at certain points, I mean, yeah, I could definitely hear them. I was in the, near the closed end of the field, um, so I could definitely hear them. But, you know, overall, who's, yeah, who's I, giving them tickets? I think that there were a lot of uh, third mar- uh, like third party, like StubHub, because they were going mm, for yeah, instant, yeah, yeah. like almost triple what they were on the like it was pretty Ugh. crazy. It makes it hard oh not to sell them. Yeah, right. That's I mean I think that that was a feeling of a lot of 
a lot of fans. But um, overall, I mean, it was still, like I said, it was great to be there, and it was great to watch the games how I like to watch the games because on TV, you know, like I said, you're following the ball. I like to pick out a player. Like, I didn't get to watch Cam Hayward all year after the ball left, you know, five mm-hmm. yards in the field. So, like, watching him for a series is something I love to do, and I got to do that. My question, did they seat anybody in the upper deck, or was this all lower bowl seating? Yeah, so nothing in the 500s, uh, okay. only seating in the 100s, and then the 200s at club level. That's what I thought. That's perfect. So you, had, so you had great seats no matter, you know, where yeah. you ended up. And you didn't have much. to sit next to anybody. Yeah, that was very nice. I mean, you know how that is. Like, people, I don't know. I, I struggle with mm-hmm. that because, obviously, like, Everyone's an expert. Yeah, everyone's an expert. That's a good point. And people get drunk, <laughs> and people get drunk and never shut up. Well, you know, and for most people, they might get to go to one game a year, yep. and it's an event. You know, it's a big event for them. It's expensive to go to professional football games. You know, for like for, for my wife and I, when we get to come, when we get to come home, if the Steelers are at home, we try to go if we can get a ticket. You know. And I remember one year she was pregnant. We were sitting, they played, oh, yeah. it was Carolina Panthers game cold, where they just yeah. destroyed them. And remember it was cold. We Jimmy were Clawson was their starter. And yeah, Jimmy Clawson was the quarterback. And, you know, there's just this old, old man sitting at the end of the row that just would get mad if, if you got up to go to the bathroom. And it wasn't like it was a revolving door. It, we were getting up like in between quarters, you know, it wasn't during the game. And just he like he got to the point where he wouldn't move out of the way, and you know you don't need stuff like that at games. You just you just understand that people a lot of people are there because it's an event. A lot of people are there because this is the one time they're going to get to go. They've spent a lot of money to be able to go, and just be kind <laughs> to other people there. You know it, they don't. It doesn't need to to. You just don't need to be rude to people in general in life, but especially then in a situation like that. So this. I'm glad you. <laughs> my yeah, wife I absolutely would. loved it. I mean, we were just us six talking I about bet. the game. Nobody, you know, I can't I can't remember a game that I went to and didn't have to deal with some clown, you know, running his mouth. And we I didn't yeah. deal with it at all this well, past yeah. Sunday, so it was great. I, I remember nice. a game Sean and I went to where they played the Raiders and we were in the, the lower bowl at the very last row, jumping from end his and dad's right seat. before halftime. His dad seats. It was Amari Cooper's rookie year. He had that the big game against the Steelers, and we get up right before the end of the first half to go get drinks. But we're standing there watching the game before we jump in line. It's a veteran <laughs> move right there. And there's a guy wearing a Raiders jersey, and he's just standing there watching the game. He's not being a jerk. He's literally standing there watching the game. And these two Steelers fans start getting in his face, waving their terrible towels, you know, being like really rude and abrasive to this guy, and he just ignores them. But like. I was just, like, not having that. I was just like, this guy's literally watching the game. He's not doing anything, and you're being, you know, a-holes. And I almost got in a fist fight with two Steeler fans at the Steelers game because of how they – Defending a Raider fan. Yeah, because it was just like – it wasn't defending a Raider fan. It was just defending another human being. And it's just like, we can all go and enjoy a great game. You know, if someone's asking for the heat, then they're going to get the heat. But a guy standing there just watching, leave him alone. You're a bully. Yeah, I mean, you can be fan, you can be a fan of your team and cheer your team on, and you don't have to be ugly to the opposing fans. And I mean, yeah, there can be some friendly banter, or some back and forth banter, and that that kind of stuff happens, and it's all in good fun. But when people just get ugly and rude, and you know, we don't need that. So I'm glad you guys were able to go and and have a good time, and um, 
hopefully you'll get to continue to do that for for foreseeable future as long as there's no more issues and things like that in Pennsylvania. So that's awesome. Well, we're going to move on from that, and we're going to talk now Steelers versus Browns, the big week six matchup. It should be the CBS game of the week, I'm hoping, because that means I'll get to watch it here. Um, Browns are 4-1, and one, Steelers are 4-0. and oh. We asked on the podcast last week, are the Browns for real? So what are your thoughts? Are the Browns for real? What, is, what kind of matchup are we looking at? Ben has been their daddy for basically his entire career, but the Browns are 4-1. and one. So where are we this week? What's the thoughts? Uh, I, I got a good stat for, for you guys. The last time the Browns beat the Steelers at Heinz Field, where Ben was the starting quarterback, uh, or excuse me, or excuse me, yeah, I think even just the last time they beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh, Baker Mayfield was eight years old. Uh, <laughs> so we've had their number. I, I do think the Browns are pretty good this year, but I also think the Steelers are good. And we're going to find out what's going to happen when you put pressure on Baker Mayfield. If you bottle up their run and you make him have to throw the ball, how good can they be? Um, I, I've had to watch some Browns games the last couple weeks. They've run a lot of gadget plays with their receivers. I think, you know, two weeks ago you saw the big highlight where, um, you know, Jarvis Landry threw the touchdown to Odell Beckham. And then this prior week they did they ran the same play, but Odell Beckham threw the pass to Jarvis Landry. So they're manufacturing offense through some of those gadget-type plays. Uh, of course, they do have one of the best running backs in the league in Kareem Hunt. So I'm just interested to see what happens. If you can slow down their run game and you're putting pressure on Baker and he has to win it for you, I don't have faith that he has the ability to do it. So I, I hope that we get to see that this weekend. Uh, and, I, and again, if, if, if the Steelers have to, if they're playing from behind, it's going to be tough for Baker Mayfield to win them the game. All right. So Lance, you had a preseason win. Are you sticking with that this week? Absolutely. Against the Cleveland, Cleveland Stammers. Absolutely. All right. So Lance is going with the win for the Browns. Well, Sean, what are your thoughts this week? Win against the Browns. Well, yes, I mean, I think the, Browns. the Browns are hoping for a COVID outbreak there in Cleveland because they are beat up coming into this matchup. You know, Baker Maysfield has bruised ribs. OBJ left the, the uh, headquarters in Cleveland sick today. Jarvis Landry hasn't practiced yet. And Nick, Nick Chubb, he's still out with his MCL sprain. So, <clears throat> you know, they're beat up and they're coming into Pittsburgh. That is not a recipe for success. As Lance said, they do have a very good running back in Kareem Hunt, but the Steelers are really good at stopping the run. So I'm, I would assume the game plan is going to be to to make the Browns have to put the game in Baker Mayfield's hands, which I like that for our defense that allows T.J. Watt, Tuit, Hayward, uh, Bud Dupree, tee off Dupree, on this guy Dupree. and punish those ribs that are already hurting. So I expect the Steelers will win this game. Uh, just something that I'm looking for uh, offensively. I think we're going to have a big game, the first big game for Eric Ebron in black and gold. Coming off such a big game for Chase Claypool, I'd expect the Browns to really pay extra attention to Chase in the red zone, which will open up Eric Ebron to uh, do some damage. I think he uh, gets over 50 yards with a touchdown this week, and I expect the Steelers to win. All right, so Sean had a preseason pick win for the Steelers over the Browns, and he's sticking with that. Matt, what's your thoughts? So the hot take on the local news stations, if anyone doesn't, you know, get to listen to them usually, is you know everyone's talking about how clear lead and using ball control. 
So um, Lance hinted on this a little bit. I want to see what happens when Baker Mayfield himself has to try to win a game in the third and fourth quarter. And I think that this is going to be the game where he's going to have to do that. And I hope that that's the case because I don't have any confidence in him doing that. Um, yeah, I, I'm hoping that that's the case. I know that I'm, a, I'm obviously going to you know, be a homer here. But uh, I don't think that – I mean, they deserve some credit for how they're playing their games. You don't just magically get a lead and, and utilize ball control and win games. They're doing that with a purpose. Um, so there's credit to be given there, but I don't think that this is the front seven that will let that happen um, into the, late into the game. And Baker Mayfield's going to have to make a couple plays, and I don't, I don't feel confident that he can do it. And I know that Ben can. He's proven himself time over time. So I like the quarterback duel. I'll take obviously take Ben any day uh, in this situation, and that's what I'm looking forward to. All right, so Matt's going for a win for the Steelers as well. I'll make it four for four. I had a preseason win here, and I'm going to stick with that. Um, you know, Browns, again, are, are looking good. We've offset it four and one. You, you can only beat the teams that are in front of you, and they've done it. So um, they're going to be a tougher matchup than I think we're, we're used to expecting with the Browns. It's always a tough mass, matchup being a division rival, but normally the Steelers are able to, to, to take it to them. I don't think that changes this week, especially in Hinesfield, with some fans. And I would expect there to be far less Cleveland fans there than maybe Eagles fans, I hope, unless they're just crazy enough to pay exorbitant prices on the, on the secondary market. But we're going to go with four out of four. And before Steelers we move on here, you know, I'd Browns. be remiss if we, if we don't at least mention Miles Garrett. Yeah. That guy is an absolute animal. You know, we all remember him for his assault on uh, Mason Rudolph last year, but outside, <laughs> the attempted murder. Attempted but, you murder. Know, outside of that, this guy is an excellent football player, probably TJ Watt's number one competition for NFL defensive MVP this year. He is a heck of a football player. Matt, I don't know what you expect. I expect to see a lot of two tight end sets trying to get Vance McDonald more in a blocking role to help out on the tackle side, wherever miles lines up. Cause they do move him a lot around. He doesn't just necessarily line up on a tackle. They'll put him in there in between the garden center, just looking for mismatches. So hopefully Pouncey's back and DeCastro's back because they're going to need all the help they can get to stop miles Garrett this week. I'd like to say yeah. one thing about miles Garrett or, or maybe about the Steelers. Uh, sorry to cut you off, Alex, but. Sure. The one thing I loved last year was after it happened, we played the Browns like 10 days later and Mike Tomlin said, we, you know, he, he didn't address it. He just said, Oh, we're on to this game. We're not talking about the last game. Um, and the entire locker room fell in order with that statement. Cleveland continued to talk about it. Their head coach at the time wore a shirt that said Pittsburgh started. It, it was very immature and poor leadership a job. on his part And Cleveland got, he didn't get now he got fired, but Cleveland got waxed that game coming into this week. Uh, Tomlin was asked about it again. And he said, you know, we're not interested in reality TV shows. Great line. Uh, I'm still hearing chatter out of Cleveland. I'm hearing Kareem Hunt's made comments. I've heard some other comments that just goes to show me that they're not really focusing on the game at hand and Pittsburgh's all business right now. That's one of the things that, that Mike Tomlin deserves an incredible amount of credit for from everybody he focuses on getting the team ready and they follow his lead so i, I did want to point that out because I, I think that's a small 
observation, but it's a yeah, very important I mean, one. Like what you're saying and what we're hinting at with Miles Garrett, expect a lot of you know second uh, second help from on Miles Garrett, whether that comes from a running back chipping before they go out into the uh, flat for a check down, something like that. That's what you really need. Those little things that throw people off of their rush approach. Um, and secondarily, you know, we talked about Minka Fitzpatrick. Baker Mayfield, somebody who wants to push the ball down the field. He wants that to be his identity. I expect something, a play out of this. Doesn't have a strong enough arm to do it. Yeah, and, and listen to Steelers Depot this week, so I'll give credit where credit's due. They talked about how Vance McDonald has really improved in the blocking game. And so I think, Sean, you probably hit the nail on the head, Matt, with getting that, that secondary help on Miles Garrett, whether it's the running back or it's going to be Vance blocking in there. Um, I, I'd expect the Steelers to, to, to game plan for this guy. And I think the, this motion that they've implemented into the offense, where in maybe week one or two, it just wasn't working, especially week, uh, I think it was week one against the Giants. It was just a single motion, and every time they ran the play, it, it, it did nothing. Now that teams are getting some film, the Steelers are beginning to work that to their advantage. And so I would expect a lot of misdirection. Um, away from Miles Garrett to, to kind of slow down his rush. And so we'll see what happens. So we're going to move on now to the next subject in the sanctuary, and that is Dak, Dak Prescott. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this play, but uh, dislocated his ankle, done for the season. Cowboys are on the ropes. They're struggling. The red rifle himself, Andy Dalton, former Cincinnati Bungle is now at the helm for the Dallas Cowboys. What does this all mean for the Cowboys? Well, I think the Cowboys are lucky to have a guy like the Red Rocket, Andy Dalton. You know, what? probably the (laughs) – It's the Red Rifle. He plays for the Cowboys, so he gets whatever I call him. But, hey, that's probably one of the best backups that you're going to have in the NFL. He's – he played for the Bengals and had some success there, throwing to A.J. Green and not much else for many years. He's got a lot of weapons in Dallas. It's a dysfunctional franchise uh, led by Jerry Jones. And, you know, you can't root for that franchise. That franchise is annoying. America's team, but everybody hates them. Uh, I, I think, honestly, the Cowboys might be in play to get that first pick I I really think that defense is one of the worst defenses I've ever seen uh in the NFL and now you're on to the backup quarterback but just a quick quick touch on Dak man he is such a guy that you really want to root for he is just I, I saw the picture with his brother and him in the hospital getting ready for surgery and he's just he's seems to be staying positive and just that's just good leadership on his end as a as a quarterback and just a good role model for kids. You know, he's, he's got this terrible situation in front of him. He's been franchise tagged. He doesn't have a long-term deal. And he's staying positive. And he's going to take this as a, as a challenge. And he's going to meet it head on. And he's going to try to, you know, overcome and come back better than ever. So I'm definitely rooting for Dak. And uh, hopefully things turn out best for him. Yeah, I'm rooting for Dak, too. I mean, he he lost yep. his, his mom in college, I believe. He lost his, his brother to suicide this offseason. And uh, he talked about he, how he has been struggling with, you know, depression as a result of that. And, you know, I think it's really brave when somebody that's a quarterback of his success or any 
athlete or person wherever talks openly about that. I think that's needed. And so definitely rooting for him and the outpouring of support that he had from teammates, from former teammates, from former, you know, colleagues, et cetera. It, it was really, you know, you can tell that this guy is very well respected and liked throughout the league. So, you know, wish him nothing but the best. Yeah. And I think Dallas is going to take care of this guy. I mean, he, he's a French face of your franchise type well, player. They'd be foolish to to try to move on from him as long as he can come back. I believe he you know, turned at, down at a level the long term extension. So, you know, there's a lot of talk is oh they franchised him and that sucks and this is why these guys want long term deals. Well, they offered him one and he declined it. So that should definitely be known. You know, they offered him. Yeah, yeah. He was betting on himself. So he, he was having a great year. Yeah, and he's and he probably He'll still be back in Dallas. He will. That's He'll be back ultimately, in Dallas he, he will. There'll be a term deal, yeah, or more than likely, maybe they take care of him. They can tag him again. If they tag him again, they have to pay him yeah. like thirty-seven million dollars. But I mean, Ben's making thirty-five. So, I mean, that's the quarterback market. All right. So Matt, yeah, you have any I mean, I guess I can reiterate everything I said, or you guys said about his character and things like that. But you know. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and in three weeks we play the Cowboys. So yeah. I'm – I know, in, like, Andy Dalton. <laughs> I've seen what he can do and can't do. So uh, – So the Steelers. Yeah, <laughs> right. So uh, first 4 o'clock game of the year. Uh, I think it's the second week in November. Uh, it's – yes, I've got it as November the 8th. Um, I don't know if that's changed because of the buy schedule stuff, but that's what I've got. Yeah, um, so uh, and it's in Dallas. I'd take Andy, or I'd take playing against Andy Dalton any day. Yeah, I would as well. And the Steelers know him well, so I think that that just I think the Steelers would would have won this game even with Dak playing quarterback. Uh, but you know, definitely will do well against Andy Dalton. All right, so the next big news in the NFL is that Le'Veon Bell, former Pittsburgh Steeler running back, has been released by the New York Jets. And it's looking more and more likely, and maybe it's already confirmed, I'm not sure, that he is going to end up with the Kansas City Chiefs, adding one more weapon to Patrick Mahomes' arsenal at this point. Um, What are your thoughts on this landing spot, and what kind of a role do you envision for Bell at the Chiefs. I mean, they drafted Clyde Edwards Elaire out of LSU. He's been playing extremely well. I can't imagine they're going to put Le'Veon Bell in the starting running back role over Edwards Elaire. But what do you guys think their plans are in Kansas City for Bell? I think all the Clyde Edwards Elaire managers in fantasy football got to be on. I'll trade. I'll send you a trade for him right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I like Lev Bell. You know, I understand I, I, he made very bad dis- business decisions leaving Pittsburgh. That agent of his ought to be fired. He held out a year, lost $12 million to sign a deal for basically the same amount of money the Steelers had offered him two years before. Um, mm-hmm. He would have been hitting free agency again at like 28. So he would have still gotten another payday. Um, you know, that being said, the, the Jets organization is toilet. They make the Cleveland Browns organization of two years ago look good. And that's hard. Um, you know, Sam, or excuse me, their, their quarterback, Sam Darnold is, is a good quarterback. If you watch him play, he makes some incredible throws, movement with the feet, 
Uh, he just doesn't have a lot of help there, and he does need some coaching, but he could be successful. That organization stinks. They took Le'Veon Bell, who was at a historic pace in terms of uh, yards per game, and, and they just killed him. Uh, now, he's not the same back he was with the Steelers, but I know that the Chiefs are going to make him successful and the rich get richer, and it's just a harder piece for the Steelers to get Yeah, and I, I, I don't think he's going to start for them. Obviously, they have the young rookie out of LSU who's just been amazing. But, look, he gets to play for for Coach Andy Reid, and Andy Reid is an offensive mastermind. He's going to get both these guys on the field at the same time. If he's looking at tape at, at times where Lev Bell played for the Steelers, Lev Bell can line up at receiver. So I would not be surprised at all to see Lev Bell mm-hmm. line up in the slot some and, and play wide receiver slash running back. He'll obviously get carries out of the backfield. He'll get screen passes out of the backfield. I, I don't know if he is the player that he once was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is it he's lost a step or do the Jets suck that bad? And I can hear the argument either way, but now we'll get to see. And I, I think he'll be – very beneficial for that offense, and he's got the right coach to draw up the plays to, to keep all these guys involved, and, and he's shown the ability to do that with all the pieces that are there in Kansas City already. No, not at all. And he's not going to be carrying the load, you know. And, and so, the, you know, that's and, always been one of his knocks is his injury. He, it was injury prone. And so when you've got – Edward Zelaire, and you've got all the other weapons that the Chiefs have available. You can work Le'Veon Bell in here and there, and depending on how the game goes or how he's playing, increase or decrease his workload and keep him fresh as the season goes on. And you know the Chiefs are going to be a playoff team. There's we can go ahead and say that right now, and they're going they're going to be dangerous. And I always thought that Le'Veon Bell got better the more touches he got. So this will be a different role for him because I don't expect him to get more than, you know, 8 to 12 touches a game, and that might be on the high end if you if you get up to 12. But he's always been a good running back that, that got tons, I mean, tons of touches for the Steelers. I've never seen a player in my life get the ball so much like Le'Veon Bell did here in Pittsburgh between rushes and, and little screen passes. I'd say the knock on Lev Bell is that he never hits that home run play. I don't think – I think I saw a stat. He didn't have a 20-yard-plus run since Christmas of 2017. That's that's pathetic. But they don't yeah, need him. But they don't need him. He's not a home run hitter. So, he's never so been we'll fast. we'll see how it works out. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to move on. Um Lastly, in the sanctuary tonight, the English Premier League is back this weekend. I'm excited about that. And Lance informed me that he has finally chosen a team to follow. Lance, tell us about what team you have chosen and why. Yeah, so uh, I decided to to become fans of the Tottenham Hotspurs, or the Spurs as they're called. It's a club out of London, England, in the English Premier League. Uh, Alex recommended this show on Amazon Prime a few weeks ago called, uh, you know, all or nothing in it. It features mm-hmm. the Tottenham Hotspurs and I, I like soccer and I've always, you know, the one thing I've always had a hard time fi- finding a team, so to speak, is I don't feel any connection with the clubs. I mean, they're six, 5,000 miles away. I didn't grow up there. It's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, being able to watch a show where you get to know the players, you get to see the environment, you get to see how hard they work. You know, it helps you connect with them a little bit. 
And so it's just one of those things where you could say, oh, man, you know what? I like that. Oh, that guy seemed nice. And so we started watching it as a family. There is some little not safe for work language. So dads, you got to be quick on the mute button um, for a few, you know, those just the mm-hmm. locker room scenes. Just be wary of those. But I really like it in, in their in their head coach. Their manager just really has a great message of leadership. That guy is a heck of a leader and he's been very successful. So I just said, you know what? Hey, I'm going to I'm going to choose to root for this team. Um and my wife knows that the best way to get me to go on a trip is to tie sports to it. I think every major trip we've ever been on, she bought the tickets for the sports games. And, you know, we've always wanted to go to Europe. So she she said, well, I guess I'll have to buy tickets for us to go see Tottenham. And then you'll have to buy the, the flights. And I was like, yep, I'm sure that's going to happen at some point, even though it'll probably be a few years uh, yeah, if you COVID. go before me, I'm going to be very mad at you. It's because I've been wanting to go my whole life, and if you can't I'll, I'll face, me, I'll Facetime uh, you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, you can't go wrong with Tottenham. Um, that I played for the Hotspurs growing up. My team was named for for this team. And their stadium. So I, I have I have a bit of an affinity towards them. Brand new, state of the art facility, and they've actually partnered with the NFL. I don't know if you've seen that episode, yep. Lance, or not, where Goodell's there. Um, for the NFL to play their games in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and this this place is just unreal. It is a state of the art. It's it's up there with the new um, Las Vegas Raiders Stadium, the Rams, yeah. the LA Rams, yeah, that kind of stuff. It looks it's just awesome. a really incredible place. And, and and I do really recommend that show again if you haven't had an opportunity to check it out. All or Nothing Tottenham Hotspur. It's on Amazon Prime. It's uh, I think nine episodes long. Each episode is about an hour. But it is really incredible if you like sports in general, just to see behind the scenes at, at a multi-million dollar club, what goes into these players, the, the coaching, the, the facilities, all this kind of stuff, seeing what they deal with. Um, and Jose Mourinho, love him or hate him, he is, he is a leader. Lance is absolutely right. He, he, and and it, it was, it's really interesting to me because he was the coach at Manchester United, which is my favorite club until he got fired and you know all the reports were at that club that he didn't like the players and they didn't get along and all this that and the other so it's really kind of neat to see what he's like behind closed doors and there's with there is no doubt that if if he doesn't like you as a player he tells you he's going to tell you and he's going to tell you I, you know you can leave uh, you know we'll move you on we'll get rid of you cuz he said you know you either all in for the club or you're not and if you're not, then you need to leave. And so I really like that about him. He's he's up front with these guys, and um, it, it, so it's just really interesting show. So I'm excited that you've chosen a team. I hope they don't beat us anymore. And Lance, uh, and, take, and I hope uh, we finish above you. So can I add one Lance, other thing. I've wanted sorry, go ahead, Matt. To dive into a team, and I needed somebody to like keep me up on it because these games are at like odd times, obviously with a time difference. So, Lance, let yeah. me take this on yeah, as a challenge. Let's get together. Uh, maybe we can, like, FaceTime for a half or something during these games. And uh, I'll join you in supporting the Hotspurs. Yeah. All right. right. Awesome. There you my, go. my last comment, real quick, was no wonder these Europeans always crush the Americans in the World Cup. Because there's a, there's a, a, a game a episode where uh, the Spurs have a few guys injured, and so they have to call a guy up from their minor league system. And this guy is like 19 years old and he comes in, he absolutely kills it for him in the first two games. And he had signed with the club to be in their minor leagues at eight years old. So these guys at seven, eight, nine, ten years old are signing with a professional club to get training and state of the art facilities, education, support at eight years old. 
I mean, here yeah. in the U.S., that we they don't even know where to line up at 12 years old. So there's we're never <laughs> well, going to well, win a World Cup ever. Well, I won't say that we'll never win a World Cup because we are beginning to do that, and some of these MLS franchises are you know that are established at this point are beginning youth teams. You see that like Seattle Sounders. Um, DeAndre Yedlin, who's now playing for Newcastle, has been at Newcastle for several years now. He actually started in their youth system, made it onto the professional club with Seattle, and he was scouted by Newcastle, and Newcastle signed him. So the MLS um, is the So we are starting Pittsburgh to see Pirates that. I mean, you the, see – The Premier League. So, <laughs> well, That's okay. No, That's a good listen, thing. Not, they're not necessarily the Pittsburgh Pirates of the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, they're not necessarily – I wouldn't say that. But, no. I mean, obviously the MLS is not the level of, of the, the, the leagues in Europe. And so for, for the United States, for their best players to be playing in the European leagues is a good thing. And now we're starting to see some of the best players playing at some of the best clubs in Stub. Europe. We've had, we obviously have Christian Pulisic. He's at Chelsea, which is incredible. Um, we've got Weston McKinney, who just signed this year to, to play at Juventus. I mean, he's starting at Juventus yeah. alongside Ronaldo. That can only be beneficial to the U.S. We've got guys playing at clubs in Germany. We've got uh, Claudio Reyna, who they, his mm-hmm. name was Captain America. He was more of a player from my generation, from like the 90s. His son, Gio Reyna, plays for Borussia Dortmund, um, which is where Christian Pulisic was. I think he is 19 years old. He's starting for Borussia Dortmund. I think he had like five assists in a game the other day. The kid's incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible. I don't know that he has played in a competitive match for the U.S. national team yet. Now, he's, I think he's, he's, he's uh, made appearances in friendlies, but the kid's amazing. Uh, may, may end up being better than Pulisic. So the future of American soccer looks very bright as long as we can keep these guys at some of these big clubs. They're playing with some of the best players in the world. They're getting to play in the Champions League. Um, so I won't go so far as to say we'll never win a World Cup because a country as big as we are with the resources that we have, we've just got to funnel athletes into that sport. You know, like Lance said, these kids in, in England are signing professional contracts at seven or eight. Well, there's not a lot of other options for sport. Um, you know, in England, soccer is the sport. If you're going to be here, we have football, basketball, baseball, hockey. I mean, there's so many in you know, if, if our greatest athletes went to just one sport, we probably would have already won a World Cup at this point. So, all right, so we'll move out of the sanctuary now, and we're going to move into the dad zone. We're getting closer to Halloween. Last week we gave you our top five scary movies slash Halloween movies. Um, some were scarier than others, as you can <laughs> tell from that top five list. And we want to continue giving you top fives as we go through this week. And this week we're talking candy. Yep, most of the time, Dad is the one giving out the candy. And, of course, we like the good stuff. So don't be the guy who hands out the junk candy to the kids. Spend a little money. Get them, get them the good stuff. So let's give our top five Halloween candy. Matt, why don't you start us off sure with thing. your so number, five number five I went favorite with Halloween Twix. candy. Uh, great marketing campaign that they have going on right now, but I've always enjoyed uh, Twix um, with the left and right Twix that they have right now. Um, there's a consistency with my list. It is the factor of chocolate, some kind of, um, some kind of like caramel <laughs> or something like that and a crunch. And I love that change in texture. Um, and Twix was honestly yeah. one of the first candy bars I had that had that change in texture besides a Kit Kat, which I'll come to later. And we'll talk about our grandfather a little bit there. 
Um, but Twix, number five. Mm-hmm. Number five, Twix. I like to hear it. All right, Lance, you're number five. Yeah, my number five is the Kit Kat, and Matt, and Matt has already referenced the why. Uh, our grandfather loved this. He always kept it in the fridge. But I'm going to let Matt expand on that when he gets to it in his list. All right, so five for Lance. You got a little curveball here, number five, blow pops. And that's just, I remember as a kid, yeah, I remember as a kid. I'm sure you would. uh, You know, you're going through your bag of Halloween candy and you got chocolate, 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 and then there's a couple of uh, blow pops in there. So I always remember digging through and and setting those aside. And uh, blow pops of five. five number five blow pops all right i i'm kind of with matt uh as far as the chocolate but i do like uh, a little candy here and there and so my number five is skittles taste the rainbow um i love the yellow skittle and the red skittle those are my favorite two two favorite colors but i've always enjoyed skittles any time of year these things are good love them in a stocking stuffer at christmas but i love to get them in the halloween um, just, just the little, the little bag that they give you, I mean, that's perfect for a mouthful of Skittles. It's, it's just the perfect size. You can dump that whole thing in your mouth and you're good to go. All right. We'll jump to my number four, Nestle crunch. One of my favorite chocolate bars. I love the, just the rice, the, the crunch. Um, I love the full size. You know, we had a neighbor growing up, Sean Lance, you remember this guy, Everybody knew his house. He worked for the, for the candy company, and this guy gave out the full-size candy bars. And so you had to get there quick because when he was done, he was done. And he always had the full-size Nestle Crunch, so I love getting those. Number so my, four, probably number low four on Nestle the list Crunch. for most Sean, people. Number four. I got Reese's Cups coming in at four. You know, eat it however you want. What can you do any better than chocolate filled with peanut butter? Reese's Cups, solid piece of candy. I don't think anyone would make a list. Very few people would make a list that this wouldn't even make it into their top five. So Reese's Cup of Four. That's what I mean. The way yeah. you hear the rest of these lists. I'm surprised it's that low on your list. So Yeah, something's wrong with you. Yeah. All right, Lance, give us your number four. Uh, number four for me is the only candy that I have on my list. I'm like, Matt, I, I love chocolate. So the whole thing's chocolate, except for this. Starburst. I, I always enjoy a good Starburst. Big fan of the pink and red Starburst. You pop them in together. Just, just great candy. I got two uh, in my Starburst pocket right now. Fruit punch <laughs> and cherry. All right. You know what? Starburst, I think the lemon gets a bad <laughs> Oh, rap. cherry. I love the cherry Starburst. That's... I like the lemon, too. I think they're all I good. I like lemon. The orange is good. I've always liked the lemon. The only thing I don't like about Starburst is I don't like candy that like, I'm not a gets candy stuck person. in your teeth. I'm not and a that, candy that, person. Yeah, Starburst really good in there. All right. So, Matt, I'm going to let you give your number four. And, and, and you text this to me, so I don't know if this was autocorrect no, so, or if this is really the name yeah, of this. I, I love, go ahead and give I us your number four. It says Humble I, Crunch Bar because I take a lot of heat, and I'm talking about Nestle's Crunch, the same one Alex had, yeah. But I take a lot of heat for liking this candy bar. Okay. Um, okay. People think it's too simple. They don't like the rice component or whatever. Look, this candy bar is great. Uh, like I said, I like a little texture. Gives it to you. And they just took that that trash that – okay, it's hard for me to say this because Hershey is so close to Pittsburgh. But that crackle bar that they have in Hershey, yeah, it's not even close to the Nestle version. And that's, no. that's hard to say because, like, the normal chocolate bar, I would take the Hershey one. You know what I mean? Opposed to Nestle. But the crunch bar, number four. Right, right. 
Yeah, it's a good good call. And I would have had had this version on my list, but the the, the chance of you ever getting this in in and while trick or treating is slim to oh. none. But Sarah makes a crunch bar. Oh man, it is it's great. They're even there. Yeah, I mean, you're never going to. You're number one on any list. Yeah, yeah, it's not fair. What's the what's the place in the right? You guys know about that? Yeah, it's Anderson's candy. You can't beat. I think that's on sixty five, right? But they have a crunch bar as well, like this, and it's like dynamite compared to yeah. Yeah, Anderson candy's good. It's very comparable to Sarah's. Yeah, so I mean, we'll take obviously we'll take Nestle Crunch any day of the week. But if you can get a, a homemade or a local made chocolate bar, oh, about that Wonka bar, baby, yeah, Sarah's would be my number one. <laughs> Again, you're not going to find that in your Halloween. Yeah, not Wonka. Yeah, bar. so all right, so Matt, number three is the Kit Kat. We've already heard about it. Give us your number you three know, and Pat tell us why. Up, this was Lance and it's always in the fridge and. I can't pull this out of a bag without thinking about Pap, and it's one of those things like, you know, how, how much food relates you to a memory. Every time I bite into one, I think about Pap, thinking about having it with a with yeah. the ginger ale. Yeah. Give it a try. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah. Drinking it with a, a mini ginger ale yeah. bottle. bottle. <laughs> mini ginger ale bottle uh, out on the porch. Canada uh, and it takes me back to great times and – Playing, beating B and Bridge, uh, eating Kit Kats. I mean, it, chewing chocolates. Yeah, couldn't be better. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's interesting that you that you guys say that because I don't I don't really remember. No, they're always this. I don't associate the Kit Kat with Pat. The big I, ones. I, I mean, I guess they had. But here's the thing: like Clark when bars, I was yeah. when I was little with Pat. They were Clark bars. Yeah. Clark bars. And, I, man, I, I'm the same way with the Clark bar that you guys are with the Kit Kat. Like, I can't see a Clark bar. Well, yeah. I think of him and want to the They made the change. Yeah, from, and want to get it. Clark bars and Clark bars to, to Kit Kats and uh, what was the gum Extra. that they had? Extra. Yeah. <laughs> Everything changed. They, they had a midlife Extra crisis gum. or something. And Pap, hmm. and Pap always had... <laughs> and well, I, always I don't had know on, on his sandwiches because they used to make yeah. Clark bars here. I, I might be totally misstepping back in the day, but you know that Clark sign used to be up like right around Heinz Field. That thing went down and Cat Pat jumped ship. Yeah, yep, he is done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that might have been the end of the Clark bars. You, you, you leave in Pittsburgh, I'm leaving you. So, um, all right, so three is Kit Kat, and we love the reasoning behind that. Lance, give us your number three. Uh, my number three is Butterfinger. It's it's the same reason for anything else on this list. It's chocolate. It's peanut butter. I, I love a good Butterfinger. Uh, usually what happens when Thomas uh, goes trick-or-treating, I take him. We walk together. We come back. <laughs> take his candy. Exactly. I, you know, I, start, I start setting aside the good stuff for me, and I say, this is my – uh, tribute for walking the neighborhood with You're like you like a douche on Hocus Pocus that takes everyone's shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't eat all that candy, Oink. Well, it works out because Thomas, uh, we likes, just that Thomas likes the sugar candy and I like the chocolate candy. So it's a, it's a great partnership. Your match made it with sure so Well, like... I just have to say the <laughs> Butterfinger, right, the worst choice of any candy on anyone's list. That <laughs> Come on, why don't I just... Take oh, a it. hammer to my teeth. That's the most garbage it does, candy. It does get no one stuck would in even your teeth. Think about it, does it get or stuck even in your like teeth. it if it weren't for the Simpsons. So, uh, I got Snickers at number three. 
anytime I'm pissed off, I eat a Snickers. It makes me happy. <laughs> what what more do you want? It's one of the most popular candy bars around. It's a great girl. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. It's a great ad campaign. Snickers at three. It's that solid. is great. Yeah, they did they did hit ad gold with with those. Solid. All right, I'm going with the Twix at number three. I'm like Matt. I do like uh, the nougat, the the caramel. Can't go wrong with the Twix, whether it's a left Twix or right Twix, a bite-sized Twix. I could sit there and eat the whole bag. Twix is my number three go-to. My number two, this one, it, it, you know, it's not a, it's not an out there candy. It's M and M's, but I just I never really liked them until you know last several years of my life. I like you know in chocolate M and M's, peanut M and M's are good. I have to kind of moderate how much I eat those because I'm not supposed to eat nuts. Uh, the peanut butter M&M's, those are good. But just the good old regular M&M's. I mean, these things are great. I love getting just a family bag and, like, putting them in a little bowl around the house and just grabbing a handful here and there. Well, I had to so bite my tongue on all two, the jokes M&Ms. that went through my Sean, head. Sean, give us your number you two. You couldn't eat nuts. But uh, I have to say, Alex, I cannot believe that you didn't have Smarties on your list. Because <laughs> you and Mom would stab a dude for Smarties back in the day. Yeah, I, I still like Smarties. I do, I, and I'll eat them. Um, I understand. I got ki- sugary stuff. Yeah, look, I got Kit Kat it too. Yeah, my yeah. wife bought Taste a couple change of assorted time, you know. candy bags to hand out for the kids. These Kit Kats have no shot of making it. The Kit Halloween. Kats are gone. These poor bastards are getting just the regular old chocolate Hershey <laughs> bars coming out of my house because Kit Kats. They're I got about two thirds of them put down, and what do we got? 15 more days till Halloween. So, two. No, we got six. Yeah, none of it. I, I'll have to, to get, I'll have to make Let's face it, folks. Awesome. None of that no candy shot, has a shot so. of making it out uh, of your yeah, house. Yeah, Kit Kat it too. <laughs> Shout out to Pappers. Kit Kat it too. All right, Lance, give us your number two. Uh, shout out to Pap. Uh, I got the Hershey's bar. Just simple simple chocolate. Don't give me any almonds. Almonds will ruin it. I don't know <laughs> who the heck thought that would be a good idea. Give me the milk chocolate. Some healthy nerd. I, I, I love it. You can't go wrong. And it, yeah, it, some nerd. And I will tell you, one, one of the best, yeah, real healthy. Bunch of chocolate, and here's three almonds mixed in. Um, see, see, Mom, it's healthy. One of the yeah, one of the best things about the mini Hershey bars that you get is those suckers work really great on a s'more. So if you haven't tried that, man, those work perfect for, for a s'more. All right, uh, yeah, Matt, so I got the what Hershey's you got? You got a little, you got a little twist on, on the uh, too. I like it. <laughs> this is not a favorable candy for a lot of people because they hate white chocolate. I like it. I think it's good. Um, the one thing about the Hershey's cookies and cream bar, if you can get a smaller one, that's great. But you know, usually it comes in the bricks like a normal Hershey's bar. I'm only eating like, you know, max. So that's maybe like a quarter of a bar. Yeah, but uh, you know, yeah, bite you can't eat bite, too much of this. Pound, getting one little piece. Give me the Hershey's cookies and cream. Are we are we talking candy? Or are we talking boxers? Pound for pound. <laughs> it applies to everything, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> this is. A- this is the Rocky Balboa of, of candy. I mean, it's the underdog. <laughs> Nobody wants the white chocolate boxer. Oh, my um, God. But then he then he steps in the ring and he knocks your socks off. So that's what Matt's going with the Hershey's CNC. All right. It's going to be no secret here for most of us. Matt, Lance, myself, all going with the Reese's at number one. Chocolate, it's peanut butter, 
the ad campaign at Halloween, the ad campaign at Easter. You can't beat yeah, these so, guys. Do you have anything ahead, that Lance, you can sorry. add to uh, the research? I was just going to say, let can. me talk about Easter because this is go what ahead, solidified Matt. it uh, uh, for me. Those eggs. Oh, they're good. Game changer for the Reese's. So, oh, the eggs. Oh, the yeah. eggs. Off the chain. But I when thought we were ranking Halloween candy, and I don't remember anyone handing out an egg on Halloween. Well, if you buy enough, you can give them out on Halloween. All right, well, I'll – that's true. <laughs> they won't make uh, it. They won't make my it. My only comment on the Reese's is these things are so freaking Ooh. good. I would walk across a field of glass to eat one. No, no problem. So give me the Reese's all day. I could have put Reese's one through five. There's so di- so many different variations. You got the PCs. You got them. You know, in I'm, after, Blizzard I'm mailing Thomas Dairy chocolate Queen. like They're November fifteenth. I'm all Poor in. Kid. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Lance is eating it all. So, I'm gonna all right, Sean, you so are the this, only outlier This candy here. Give is us your number one. not well-known. I, I don't think that a lot of people, when I say how much I enjoy this candy bar, they're like, what is that? I've never had that. But I've also heard you guys say how much you love chocolate. You love caramel. You love the crisp rice. Well, that is 100 grand. And if you've not had 100 grand, next time you're at a store and you see one, buy one. Because based off of your guys' list, I don't... I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you guys. I don't. Have I don't have a hundred grand. Scott stuff. Yeah. I don't know the if Michael you guys Scott have joke. eaten this candy bar, but next time you're out, if you see it, grab it. it. It's right in the wheelhouse of what you're all been describing on your lists. It's my favorite go-to candy bar. It's the underdog of all candy bars that will change your life. Well, me and Book Sean it. have the same taste buds, so yeah. I'm getting one tomorrow. That a boy. Let let me know. I need your. You're gonna have to. Yes. <laughs> All right, hundred grand. We'll, we'll have to get you back on the podcast for a follow. Have you guys had it? Am on, I the only one on that's eaten a hundred grand, grand bar? I've never bar. eaten one in my life. All right, so we're. Uh, I I've no. I think red, I've eaten one. They, they have like a white. You're thinking they of have a, a white day, package, which is a trash like candy blue, bar. Blue and orange. This is the worst. Okay, well, so I'm the only one that's, I'm, that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, no, no, it's I know. Very, it's not very it's well known, but it's, no. it's, it's good. I know that I, I know what you're talking about. Yep, yep, yep. I can see it in my mind now. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm not, we're running a little long tonight, so I'm not going to recap these. If you want to listen to them, just hit the rewind button and you can hear them again. But they're all great choices. Halloween's coming up. Don't cheap out on your candy. Pick up some of these selections and give them out to the kids. Or, you know, be stingy, turn the light off on the porch and just eat them yourself. As always on the Ins and Y'all. Yeah, that's right. As always on the Ins and Y'all podcast, we're going to jump into the Jumbotron. We want to give you some must-TV, must-see TV. There's always good stuff coming out, unless you're Sean, who apparently Dad of the year. Paw Patrol or Puppy Dog Pals. Everybody's got some good stuff to share. So, Lance... Why don't you go ahead and start with what you got this yeah, week? Yeah, I'm going to go with SNL, uh, Saturday Night Live. Bill Burr was on last week. I love Bill Burr. He's probably my, my all-time favorite comedian. I've seen him live four times, and he never disappoints. Uh, no. I love Bill Burr because he's true <laughs> to himself. He does not care about your feelings. He doesn't care about your opinions. Go ahead and try and ruin his day. You're not going to have it. Uh, he went up on SNL, and he just – he he took a he big, killed white woman big Cleveland steamer on everyone. Uh, he killed everyone. He <laughs> killed everyone that's ever tried to do anything, and it was hilarious. And only the way that a 
angry redheaded dude could rant and it's i just love it because some of his his monologue that he puts out there are things i think to myself but he's just so gifted at it and so i really enjoyed it uh anytime i've ever seen him live he is absolutely killed he's, he's the best he's one of the best in the, in the world hands down all right, so I can't even tell you. I did watch the. I just has been such. I watched, you can watch the monologue. You can watch the monologue on YouTube. Bill Burr being on it, it's really good, man. The political hate, you know, it's clearly a very liberal show. Uh, it it can be a little put offish, I would think, for people that are more on the right wing. But you know, the skits with Bill in it were really they're really funny. Yeah, so I'm going to recommend a show Dexter on Showtime. I'm sure it's available on demand. Basically, yeah, so basically Dexter, he's a blood splatter uh, analyst for the Miami Police Department. His sister's a detective for the police department. But Dexter has a hidden life as a serial killer, and he basically kills uh, criminals that are able to escape the justice system. So that's how he kind of kind of makes himself feel okay about murdering people and being a serial killer is that he's killing bad people. Uh, the reason I bring this up is because they're going to bring back a one season in the spring of 2021. So uh, I'm sure people that are fans of the show are really looking forward to it because it didn't have the greatest ending and a lot of people say it's one of the worst endings of television history. But uh, the show is really entertaining, and uh, it's definitely different than <laughs> anything you'll ever watch on TV, so I definitely recommend it. Michael C. Hall does a great job playing this character, and I, I don't think you can go wrong watching Dexter. All right, so Sean's coming in with Dexter. Sure all right, thing. Matt, so, I'm interested all, in your pick because I've got some questions SNL, for you. This is my go ahead and share it we first. All were talking today. I watch SNL with Cat every week. We don't watch it on Saturday night. We watch it on demand. This cast is fabulous, and Michael Che and Colin Jones, who do Weekend Update, are amazing. So yeah, they're good. Go back and, and try to you know get back into it if you haven't. A lot of people gave up in the 90s or whatever. Come back. It's, it's getting better. Um, so going back into this, my pick is Fargo. Um, so this is somewhat based off of the Coen brothers movie, but it's basically, you know, every season is a whole new plot around deception. And, you know, the first two seasons were really good. The third season I wasn't that into, um, Ewan McGregor was in it. Um, but this season, Chris Rock is in it, uh, along with Jason Schwartzman. And basically they are gangsters and, you know, kind of talking about how it's only three, three episodes in, or I think fourth, the fourth one came out this week. I haven't seen it yet. But basically how different demographics have taken over this town. So it was, the, you know, the Irish for a while, and then it was the Italians. And now um, Chris Rock's group's coming in to, to kind of battle with the Italians. And it's, it's you know, it's a gritty show. It's, it's not good for children. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of content here. And the dynamics, and it's, you know, it's, it's that political gangster dynamic thing that I, I love personally. It's been great to watch. Yeah, and it's that era, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, like, 1920s bootlegging Al Capone era. And that was my question um, because I, I've seen this show, and I, I thought it was, like, takes place in, like, 
Fargo, North Dakota or something. And it's like police invest. So when I saw this with Chris Rock and I was like, cause I like this time period. I thought, well, is, do I have to watch the other yeah, seasons so to, wa- to understand this? Or can I just season. watch this as a standalone season flow through the whole thing, but you, there's no carryover in character. They'll do like some, you know, Easter eggs for people who have watched the show forever. Um, but other than that, I mean, this is in Kansas City, I think, is the main the main thing. So, Got it. Um, yeah, it's the dynamic between these two families right now. I love okay. it. Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to check that out because I saw it, saw the previews for it. And I, like I said, I like that time era in history. But I thought, well, if I've got to go watch in three prior seasons that don't really have anything to do with this, I don't know that I want to go that route. So I'm glad to know that it's just a standalone, kind of like True Detective every season is yeah, different. I believe it's so I'm going to check that yeah, out, FX Fargo. That and that's on it's FX? On, it's on Hulu every week, yeah. Yeah, okay. You can watch it on demand. Hulu, yeah, yeah. All right, so my, my share this week is a, a movie that is just recently hit Netflix, and that's called The Outpost. Um, this was a movie that I, I saw um, was kind of supposed to go in theaters during the COVID, and I didn't want to purchase it. And now it's on Netflix free if you have Netflix. But it is about um, an outpost in Afghanistan, and it's the most isolated outpost. It's based on a true story. It's the only uh, battle in American uh, during the Afghan war where two living soldiers received the medal of honor during the battle. Um, you got, uh, Scott Eastwood is starring in this. That's Clint Eastwood's son. Um, you've got, um, Orlando Bloom is in it and you actually have what, which I found out at the end of the movie, soldiers who really fought in the battle portray portraying themselves in the movie. So I thought that was really neat that they used actual soldiers who fought in this battle to portray themselves. And then, um, so I, I highly recommend this. It's, it's about a two hour movie, not suitable for children at all. There's a lot of language in it, but it was really good. Um, and I, you know, just seeing the interviews at the end with the real guys, kind of like band of brothers that, that had an added layer to it. Um, but it's called the outpost and that's available on Netflix. Hey, so, Alex. Go uh, ahead. There's yeah. also a show on Netflix called Medal of Honor. It's like a docu-series show, and they they mm-hmm. they featured Clinton Romache and Ty Carter in separate episodes, talking talking okay. about that battle. Um, same deal. They're actually interviewing the guys that were there that they served with while doing like a docu-series. You know, dramatization oh, of what yeah. they what they uh, what they went through, and I, I definitely recommend uh, checking that out. Yeah, that that sounds interesting, and and really, if you like war movies, you'll enjoy this movie. I, I I watched it. I was traveling this week and flying on airplanes, and I I was just riveted as we landed the plane in Memphis, and it was like the last twenty minutes, and I was almost wishing like we would get delayed on the runway for a little bit so I could finish it because it was so good. So I, I highly recommend this movie, The Outpost. All right, we're going to introduce you to a new segment this week called The Bookshelf. And this is something that we've been wanting to share for quite a while and just haven't been able to squeeze it in. And I know we're running a little long tonight, so we're not going to spend a, a ton of time here. But all of us enjoy reading a good book. And we bet many of you uh, enjoy sitting back in a comfy chair and diving into a world that only books can take you to. And so we're going to share 
with you this week uh, a book that each one of us um, is currently reading or maybe have read in the past and really enjoyed. So, Lance, why don't you go ahead and kick us off with yours? Yeah, actually, I'm glad that you brought up The Outpost because my book is Red Red Platoon. It's by Clinton Romache, the sergeant uh, featured in The Outpost movie, as well as the docuseries The True Story of Combat Outpost Keating which is where this story takes place, uh, where he ends up receiving the Medal of Honor for his actions on that day during that battle. And one of the things that the movies don't capture that the book does is that is the day-to-day nastiness of the life that they had to live there and how they make the best mm-hmm. of it. And, and that's something that's never captured in movies. And it's not in most books I read, it's not always captured. They always focus on the training and then this is what happened and here we go. But he, I'm reading the book now, I'm about a third of the way through. He's giving you an explicit level of detail of the conditions that they had to live in. They basically lived in a um, plywood shack that was infested with fleas that didn't have air conditioning. That was at the bottom of a soup bowl where the enemy fired upon them. They were required to take uh, rifle and combat gear and Kevlar out. Every time they left any building, they had to have it with them because they were engaged so much by the enemy almost on a daily basis. It, it, it was it's a just an incredible story and uh i think it's it's a story worth reading awesome so that's red platoon yeah, so my book by clinton is, uh, on the road by jack right, Matt, i read this a couple years this. ago um and i reread it again pretty well not rel- relatively recently but um so i read the original scroll version there's two versions of this book the commercial version and original scroll and basically the myth behind this book is that jack Kerouac literally sat down and didn't stop he just went on a writing bender to write the whole book um but it's really cool book about traveling around. Uh, it's a beat, beat writer book, so it's it's um, about traveling around the United States, connections you make with people, and how you meet up with people again. As somebody who has friends, you know, all across the country, um, I really connected with that aspect. And you know, he's he's meeting up with people like Neil Casty, who's another famous beat writer. And that's the cool thing about the original scroll version is. Commercial version, you know, Jack Kerouac is actually Sal, but in the um, original scroll version, you know, he's referred to as Jack Kerouac throughout the whole thing. So it's kind of like an account uh, of a time that he had. Um, so it is a fiction, but it has that nonfiction element that I like. Um, check it out. It's kind of a long book, but uh, definitely learn a lot about, you know, what what living on the road kind of is like, literally. Um, and living with limited amount of money and jumping on trains and traveling across the country. It's great stuff. Yeah, I, I've heard a lot about this book. I've never actually read it. Um, and and that if you like this type of book, Matt, um, I, I can't think of the name of this book off the top of my head, but it's written by John Steinbeck. And it's a very similar to this story where he basically – takes a truck and he builds it makes it into like a camper and he and his dog travel all over the united states and he just writes about his interactions with people that he meets on the way and so it's a really entertaining book it sounds pretty similar to this again i i i'll see if i can find the title and text it to you but it is written by john steinbeck um so it's it's quite good so this is <laughs> yeah, on my the road book though is by called jack Kerouac. So it sounds very it's interesting by Ken Sean, it is uh book one of the century trilogy trilogy and uh it's basically uh fictional characters that are intertwined into real historical times with real historical figures uh similar to if if you read jeff shara gods and generals 
<clears throat> it's got that similar similar feel. Uh, this follows five interrelated families through the 20th century, uh, starting in this book with the First World War, the Russian Re- Revolution, and the struggle for votes for women. And it, it's just a it's a great read. I can't recommend these books highly enough. Uh, once I started it, I could not put it down. I know I was talking to you guys about these when I was reading them. Uh, I'm still very adamant that I think you should give it a give it a try. For me, I do enjoy reading my history this way because you you still get the facts of the times, you get the facts of battles, and 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 things like that. But you get it at at a less of a dry uh, reading uh, for me. I'm not a big guy just to read a history book and. On you know May second of eighteen thirty two, this happened. You know that that's just not how I like my history. Um, so these books are page turners. I, I found myself reading these for hours, staying up way too late. Uh, just couldn't put them down. So definitely recommend Fall of Giants by Ken Follett. All right, so that sounds pretty interesting. My recommendation this week is Without Remorse by Tom Clancy. I had never read a Tom Clancy novel up until this point where I picked this one up. I read this while we were on vacation this summer, and I really enjoyed it. This, uh, My wife and I started watching Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime, and so that got me thinking, well, I've never read those books. I've seen the movies, but I've never read them, so I'd like to check them out. And I am a completist. I I like things orderly and I like everything. So when I get into something, I I want everything about it. And so I, for me, I started doing some research and I was like, okay, I want to read this in not necessarily the order that they were published, but in the chronological order of the story. So this is a Jack Ryan universe book, but Jack Ryan is not in the book at all. It's a completely different character. Um, who is actually played by Willem Dafoe in uh, Clear and Present Danger. So he's a CIA operative, and this is going to be made into a movie starring Michael B. Jordan. And so I, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of change that that dynamic because this guy is a Vietnam vet in the story. So obviously I'm assuming they're going to probably set this in present day, and Michael G- B. Jordan is going to be like a Afghanistan war vet or something like that. But – um, Tom Clancy is just a phenomenal writer. These, these, and if you've ever seen a Tom Clancy book, they're not short. They're, they're thick. They're, you know, we're talking seven, eight, nine hundred pages. They go fast, so, though. Um, but it's a lot of dialogue. And dialogue for me, I read fast. And, and it's, and it's action packed. It keeps you interested. And, and it's a page turner, like Sean said about his book. So I'm going to recommend Without Remorse by Tom Love Clancy. And if you like Michael B. Jordan as an actor. And you, you can you can you can read this book and get prepared for the movie that's going to come out at some point. So, um, but that's going to wrap us up for this edition of the Yins and Y'all podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whichever podcasting platform you prefer. We'd appreciate it if you would rate us and leave a comment. It helps others find the podcast and helps us to improve. Make sure you follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of those things. And remember, whether you use Yins, Y'all, or something else. There's always a place.